It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on this gorgeous Thursday morning. And a very special Thursday morning. It's not just an ordinary Thursday. It's not just another March 11th on the calendar. This is a special day in sports history. This time last year, exactly one year ago, March 11th, 2020, is when really the world as we know changed. So when Rudy Gobert, his um, coronavirus test came back positive, the NBA, uh, the NBA after tonight or after this time last year suspended this season and as we know did not resume again until they were down in the bubble um, in Orlando a few months later. So just crazy to think how both, I don't know how you feel, but at least for me personally, now realizing it's been a year, both how it's been the quickest year because honestly, I feel like it just happened yesterday. I feel like I can remember it like it was yesterday. Where I was sitting, my reaction on the couch watching, it's like, wow, is this really happening? And then also at the same time, the slowest year that's ever gone by because, man, I know I'm not alone in wishing all of this was over very shortly. We can get on to uh, normal life again, but we are getting there, which is a good thing. Positivity here is what we like to preach and what we like to work on on the Worldwide Sports Network, Eric, especially on the Ryan Hickey Show. I'm an, I'm an eternal optimist, sometimes to my own detriment, but I always look to, I like to look at the bright side, and that's what we're going to do here. It's crazy how far we've come from a year ago um, today, and hopefully we never go back to one of those days ever again. So coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, with it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. A great show, a jam-packed show, a fun show, because we are celebrating that sports are back. It is so great. A year ago on the anniversary that, again, the NBA shut down, and then, then as we know, sports, as we know, shut down. Talk about a lot of sports. Dak Prescott, brand new deal. Why, in my mind, him signing the deal, it's going to facilitate, it's going to force one team that is already very desperate to make a massive move. I think there's one big move, and I'm not talking about Deshaun Watson. I think there's one big move left that's going to happen. I'll tell you who that team is and what move they can make. We'll do that in 15 minutes at 9.20. 9.40, I want to ask a question. Why can't the Utah Jazz win it all? As we get going here, the second half of the NBA season, really starting tonight with uh, a lot of other teams now returning after the All-Star break. I feel like every, the, every reason you want to give as to why they should be able to win, they do. But yeah, no one's really believing in them. I'm a believer. I'd love to hear if you're a believer. We'll get into that. Top of the second hour, 10 o'clock Eastern. Are there too many three-pointers in the NBA? A very talented writer um, over at ESPN wrote an article talking to NBA executives, NBA coaches, NBA general managers, league insiders. Talking about the revolution that is a three-point shot. Is it hurting the game? We will discuss. 10-20, we'll do a little fun game of contender or pretender. Are these teams who had a, a very solid, even surprising few first half of the year, can they keep it up in the second half of the year? We'll discuss that as well. But 
But the big news of the week, we will start with the Dallas Cowboys and we will start with Dak Prescott. They, as you know, I'm sure by now, happening, of course, as it always does, a few hours after the show ends on Monday, they come to a long-term deal. And now I'll say this before I get into my thought. Never thought this day would happen. I thought for sure I had it resigned in my head. They are going to play. Dak is going to play in the franchise tag in 2021. He's going to be a free agent in 2022 and play elsewhere. I did not see a contract extension coming because to me, Dak's price is only going to go up. Dallas couldn't make it work last year. He, it's you know it's only going to get more expensive as the cap is is reduced this year. Now we know the final cap number of 182.5 million dollars. The cap's going down. Dak's price is going up. I did not think personally a deal would get done, but here we are. It got done. But it's interesting because the reaction initially after the deal was out, you know, after it's announced that. They've come to a long-term agreement with Dak Prescott. After you hear the numbers, and we'll get to those in a second, there's a lot of parading, there's a lot of praising Dak Prescott that he beat Jerry Jones. He took Jerry Jones to the woodshed in terms of negotiations. He won out. This is this is a, a, a slam dunk, if you will, for Dak Prescott slamming on Jerry Jones' head by getting the contract, getting what he wants. But here's the way I look at it. The more you look at the deal, the numbers, the options. To me, this is a deal the Cowboys absolutely won. There's no doubt in my mind. This Dallas deal is a massive win more for the Cowboys than it is for Dak Prescott for two reasons. Number one, they were able to sign their man on a relatively team-friendly deal. And number two, they got the best quarterback available. They got the best quarterback available. So we'll start, I'll break down both those reasons. Number one, team-friendly deal. Who's our name? So here are the numbers, as I'm sure you know by now. Just to reiterate, four-year deal, four-year deal for Dak Prescott, $160 million, 126 that guaranteed, $126 million guaranteed, a $66 million signing bonus, the largest in NFL history. Could you imagine, by the way, signing a piece of paper, boom, there's 66 large in your bank account. Not a bad day to be Dak Prescott. I'll take that day. (laughs) My boss is here at Worldwide Sports and Eric Arrow for listening. If you want to, you know, give me a $66 million signing bonus, wouldn't be opposed. So that obviously Dak's a winner right there, and his bank account's a big winner. But here's what that massive signing bonus does for the Cowboys and why it helps them, um, to me, in, in my mind, win this deal and work out better for them than it does for Dak. That massive signing bonus helps basically make the rest of the contract very team-friendly. Spread the money out over four years. A lot, a lot of it is up front right away. But a lot of it up front right away means you can spread it out through the rest of the four years. And what does that do? 2021 especially. Let's look at what Dak's um, cap is going to be for this year. His cap hit for 2021. And again, in a year when the salary cap decreased than normal. $22.2 million is Dak's cap hit. Now, Counter that with if they didn't get a deal done and he just played on the franchise tag, the franchise tag is $37.7 million. So by getting a deal done, the Cowboys saved themselves on the cap for 2021, $15 million. Every penny counts, and $15 million of them will go a long way in this offseason to make the team better. And when you look at that $22.2 million cap hit that Dak is on the books for in 2021, Look at where that ranks in terms of NFL quarterbacks in 2021. He's 13th. 13th. In terms of quarterback salary in 2021. That is lower than Teddy Bridgewater. That's lower than Ben Roethlisberger. Look at what a team in the division, the Eagles, 
are paying Carson Wentz not to be there. When the Eagles traded Carson Wentz, the dead cap hit for them this year is $33.8 million. The Rams, they got rid of Jared Goff. They bring in Matthew Stafford with that, that dead cap hit for the Rams trading Jared Goff. Jared Goff was still in the books for the Rams in 2021 for $22.2 million. So the Cowboys, in spreading out the money and giving a lot of the money up front to Dak, now have him, in terms of quarterback salary, on an average annual basis. For 2021, he is 13th. He has a lesser cap hit than guys like Teddy Bridgewater and Big Ben, who, I mean, no doubt, no hot takes here, no real question. He's better than both of them at both of their stages of their career. The Eagles and the Rams are paying more or equal to Dak's deal for 2021 for quarterbacks not on the roster. So yeah, this is a massive team-friendly deal for the Cowboys. This is, this is massive for them to be able to keep their costs low in terms of a, a yearly basis while still getting a very good quarterback to lead them. And so, yes, when you look at the, the whole of the contract, when you look at this $160 million, you look at the $126 million guaranteed, yes, he's currently right now, as you sit in today's NFL, the second highest paid quarterback behind only Patrick Mahomes. But guess what that's going to do? That's going to change, and that's going to change very quickly. Because you look at guys like Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, MVP under his belt. Josh Allen had an incredible 2020 season. All of those guys could get extension either this offseason or next offseason. And there's no doubt when that comes this year or next year, those guys will surpass Dak Prescott. How the quarterback market works is you jump the next guy. You surpass the next guy. So I, I fully believe Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, all three of those guys at least will surpass Lamar, Dak Prescott and his contract by this time next year. Factor in Kyler Murray with the Cardinals, maybe he gets an extension. There's going to be plenty uh, of young quarterbacks getting paid and getting paid soon to where that Dak Prescott contract is going to look like a steal sooner rather than later. And let's not forget, too, the cap obviously went down in 2021 because of the pandemic in 2020. Well, that cap is going to explode, and it's going to explode quick. New TV money coming in. Full, I mean, you hear you know owner, owners and some teams embracing and preparing for full stadiums again this year, this fall. The money is going to be coming in, and it's going to be coming in hot. So that cap's going to go up. And again, that uh, cap number for Dak is going to look minuscule, minuscule to what he's giving you on the field. So number one, to me, that's the, one of the biggest reasons why I think the Cowboys are a massive winner in this. They get a very, or they get a very good quarterback for a team-friendly deal because they pay a lot of money up front. A lot of money up front. Number two. When you look at the other options they have, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't going to be Dak, right? If they weren't able to get a long-term deal done, if it's play on the franchise tag in 2021, then see you later, go somewhere else. When you look at the other options the Cowboys could have had at quarterback, whew, whew, boy, did Dak Prescott all of a sudden look like the bell of the ball? Did he look like Cinderella? Because compared to what you could have had or what you could have, man, Man, does he look good. Is he an elite quarterback? No. Is he a top five quarterback? No. But top 10 is pretty good compared to what you look at the other options could have been. Let's just say this, right? Let's just get the pipe dreams out of the way first. As you mentioned, Dak was going to be in the franchise tag in 2021 no matter what, right? So with that said, him being here for one year in Dallas, if a deal wasn't able to get done, that, to me, would have meant a Russell Wilson trade, although very unlikely to begin with just because of the history of the two franchises where, remember, Earl Thomas 
coming over um, after a game in which the Seahawks played at Dallas, coming over to Jason Garrett and say, hey, come get me. Come get me if you can. There was rumors that, you know, Jamal Adams wanted to go to the Cowboys. Well, the, the Seahawks swooped right in there, took, picked him up for, uh, from the Jets. There's some bad blood between the Cowboys and the Seahawks. I don't think a Russell Wilson trade would have happened anyway. But even with Dak there for one year, I don't think that trade is happening because the Seahawks aren't going to take someone of a lesser talent than Russell Wilson and someone who you have to pay more money to than Russell Wilson. So I don't think a Russell Wilson trade was ever happening for the Cowboys. I don't think a Deshaun Watson trade is ever happening for the Cowboys. So take those two pipe dreams out of it. right? Obviously, two would be obvious upgrades to Dak. But take those two pipe dreams out. Take those two pie-in-the-sky um, possibilities out. What are you left with? Because Dak as your quarterback in 2021, the team would have been too good to get a top five pick. The team wouldn't have been able to tank, so you couldn't get the next highest you know quarterback in the draft in 2022. The free agency draft, you know, the free agency um, market, especially this year, obviously it'll be different next year, but this year especially, a lot of quantity, not a lot of quality. And not to mention, if you look at even the draft this year, if the Cowboys want to get crazy. Sitting at number 10, draft a quarterback to sit behind uh, Dak Prescott for a year and then move on from him. When you look at mock drafts already, there's a big run on quarterbacks early. There is a legitimate chance here, depending on what teams like the Falcons, teams like the Lions do. There could be a, an opportunity or, or potential where even though the Cowboys are sitting at 10th in the draft, they could be without a quarterback. There could be five quarterbacks taken in the first nine picks. So even though you have a top 10 pick, you're almost too low to draft a quarterback this year and sit him down for a year behind deck. So when you look at the other options, the other potentials, uh, potential opportunities the Cowboys had, it was slim to none. Slim to none. So that's why in my mind, when you look at the other options that they had, they got the best quarterback available. So absolutely, I mean, obviously, look, Dak's a big winner here. I'm not trying to take anything away. He got a deal. He got more money than he would have gotten if he signed last year. But he didn't need to make this deal. He could have went to free agency and got even more money next year than he would have gotten this year. But the Cowboys were able to get a deal done. And me, because it's the way it was structured, team-friendly deal. And when you look at the other options, this was the best guy. They were able to lock down the best quarterback available to them, which is massive. At least they are competitors for the next three or four years. I don't think they're going to win a Super Bowl, personally. I don't think this move all of a sudden elevates the ceiling really any differently in Dallas in terms of Super Bowl aspirations. But it keeps in the conversation, keeps in the mix. You're not going to be a total dumpster fire going 5-11 and 11 or 4-12 and 12 the next three or four years. So that's why, at least to me, in my mind, it is a big win for the Cowboys. Obviously, Dak got his money. He got paid very happy for him, and he deserves it. But when we're talking about Dak taking Jerry Jones to the cleaners, Dak winning this deal, running circles around Jerry Jones, Look, Jerry said some weird things. I'm not a big fan of his negotiating style. But at the end of the day, to me, I mean, this is a massive, massive, massive win for the Cowboys. A bigger win for them than it is for Dak. So I'm curious your thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you agree? When you look at it, did, did Dak really win this deal? Because he was going to get paid anyway. And honestly, he's probably going to get more money on the free agent market next year than signing this deal. Was he the big winner in getting guaranteed money for the next four years? Or is this the Cowboys that are winning? Is this the Cowboys that should be celebrating because they are able to get one of the best quarterbacks, probably actually the best quarterback available to them. They are able to lock him down on a relatively team-friendly deal. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, 
WWSRN underscore radio. WWSRN underscore radio. You can write uh, comment right there on the live stream on Periscope. At Ryan Hickey Show if you want to tweet the show handle directly. Also, you can find the live stream of the show on that uh, Twitter feed as well. So love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Twitter. Do you think the Cowboys won this deal with Dak Prescott? Do you agree with me? Because the large majority says Dak won. Dak embarrassed Jerry. Dak is the big winner here. I'm saying it's the Cowboys that are the big winner. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll come back, or we'll get your thoughts, excuse me. And when we come back, I want to discuss why the Dak Prescott signing now, taking another quarterback off the board, in my mind, in my belief, I believe this is going to perpetuate and this is going to force a massive trade to go down. I think we are not done in the quarterback carousel. I'm not talking about Deshaun Watson. I think uh, one team is going to make a massive uh, splash, especially now because Dak's off the market. I'll tell you who the team is, what move they can make when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome on back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Brand new studio, as you can see. Hopefully you enjoy it. A little bit of a... I don't know. Oxymoron is not the right word. A little bit of a... Um, well, we'll call it irony that there's a Notre Dame border. Above that, a Penn State poster. I grew up, in case you are unaware, grew up a massive, massive Notre Dame fan. My... Well, I'm in my room, as you can see. The walls are still blue and gold. Um, that was the dream school. Now, the athletics, the academics, let's just say not up to snuff to uh, Notre Dame standards. We'll just, we'll just say it nicely. So never got to go there, but did end up going to Penn State. Best decision of my life. Love that school. So now I'm a Penn State guy. What are you going to do? You got to support the alma You got to go with the team and with the school that you uh, gave your blood, sweat, and tears to. And gave a lot of money to man, <laughs> so that is um, we're still trying to get the you know the new studio set up here, get all the kinks out. So I apologize again if you did hear um, some silence and um, just some weird noise. I don't really know what went over there. I could hear nothing, and I honestly thought for a second everything broke. So thankfully it's not the case. Thankfully we are still on the air, and thankfully you're listening to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are talking and reacting to the Dak Prescott Dallas Cowboys contract extension. Four years, $160 million, 126 guaranteed, a massive $66 million signing bonus. A lot of people are saying Dak won this deal. He's the big winner. Uh, to me, in my mind, I still think it's the Dallas Cowboys. Team-friendly deal, one. And two, you look at the, the rest of the options they had, it, he was the bell of the ball. My guy Clarence Nixon writes on Twitter, if you want to get on this conversation, Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Clarence writes, I think Dak is the winner. They have to build their defense and O-line backup. 
I would agree. And that's part of the reason why I said I don't think that the Cowboys are still Super Bowl contenders. Even though they were able to sign Dak long-term, I don't think that he's going to win a Super Bowl in Dallas. I personally don't. At least not in these next four years. He has to elevate his play, but also the Cowboys have to uh, address and upgrade a lot of positions. Defense, basically every position on defense, especially the second day where they were just trash. Horrendous. Defensively, especially in the past secondary. Offensive line, as we saw, went through some attrition. Some players getting a little bit older. Um, Tyron Smith, especially the left tackle, now starting to become a little more injury-prone. Lyle Collins missed a lot of last year. They have a lot of issues to address. And the DAC, again, while it is a team-friendly deal in my mind, they still have a lot of holes to fix if they want to become competitive. So Clarence says, in his mind, DAC is still the big winner. I'm still saying it's the Cowboys. But again, love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear you chime in. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. Get your thoughts throughout the duration of the show. Trust me, we'll be hitting this on this all day. But I do also want to get into the ripple effects, the after effects, if you will, of the Dak Prescott deal, what it means for the rest of the NFL. Because you've heard the saying, I've heard the saying, we all know the saying. Desperate times call for desperate measures. If you're a fan of the office like I am, you remember Michael Scott saying, desperate times yield the quickest results. Well, as you know, Dak Prescott, when it comes to the quarterback market, when it comes to desperation for getting a quarterback, if you're a team in quarterback limbo without an answer, maybe you're hoping Dak reaches free agency next year and you can make a run at him. Obviously, the extension, as we know, takes him off the market for 2022 and beyond. One less quarterback now to fancy over, to worry about. And also, let's not forget what else this does. The Cowboys locking up Dak Prescott, although very unlikely anyway, takes them officially now out of the running in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes. Remember, he, the Russell Wilson put four teams out. The Raiders, the Bears, the... Oh, boy. The Raiders, the Bears, the Saints, excuse me, and fourth and final, the Cowboys. Cowboys are out. Now there's three teams. The odds, if you are one of those three teams, increases. Which is want to bring up my next topic. Enter the Chicago Bears. Because right now, they have a team with a good defense. I mean, they made the playoffs two of the last three years without really a quarterback. I mean, I'm not going to really consider Mitch Trubisky a quarterback. But they were able to make the playoffs two of the last three years, especially last year, you want to say they backed their way in. Absolutely fair. But to me, I equate right now the Chicago Bears and, and where they're at quarterback to a college kid. And here's what I mean by that. We all were in college one point or another. Maybe if you're there currently, we appreciate listening. Hopefully you're doing well. But back in the days of being in college, right, what happened? We had little to no money. So we were desperate to do whatever it took to get a, you know, a few, few dollars in our pockets. Working fast food restaurants, working tutoring shifts. For some, some of my friends, I was too afraid of needles, so I never – I kind of chickened out. But some of my friends donating plasma. If you had that available at your school, donate plasma, get a you – know, 30, 40, 50 bucks, whatever it took to get some money in your pocket, you ended up doing because you were desperate for a Friday night out. I can't be at home on a Friday night because I have no money. So I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get a few bucks in my pocket and have a fun weekend. That's what I feel like the Chicago Bears are. Because right now, I view them as doing whatever it takes, whatever, to get a good quarterback. And I think to me, this is going to mean 
that we will see a massive. I think the Bears are going to go all in, and I think this is going to go down. I think the Bears are going to pull off a massive trade to get Russell Wilson. I think they will do whatever it takes. They will give an offer the Seahawks can't refuse. Here's why. Let's just look at, first of all, the front office. Matt Nagy, the head coach, Ryan Pace, the general manager, they need Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson right now presents the only hope of both of those gentlemen keeping their jobs. Somehow they were given a lifeline after last year's debacle, right? Mitch Trubisky was a failure starting from the draft. Nick Foles was a flop, bringing him in last year to compete with Mitch Trubisky. Ryan Pace, unable to identify quarterbacks. Matt Nagy, unable to cater his offense to the style of quarterback that he has. For whatever reason, the Bears said, we're going to give you one more shot. We're going to run it back here, despite the offense being a total disaster for the most part of 2020. So both of these gentlemen right now being hired for jobs no one expected them to be hired to at this point in the calendar. They're playing with house money, right? I think it's fair to say they're, you know, they're on their ninth life if they was a cat. So if they want to continue to be employed, if they wanted to continue to keep their jobs and be employed by this time next year in 2022, what other option do they have that, that is a good enough quarterback to have them keep their jobs? Because I don't think Deshaun Watson personally is going to Chicago. You've, if you, you know, there are some reports out there even leading up and through the draft process where the Bears essentially ignored Deshaun Watson. The Bears, if you remember, number two overall pick. They ended up drafting Mitch Trubisky. But during the draft process, they had some insight on Patrick Holmes, but essentially, for the most part, didn't really talk to, didn't really consider Deshaun Watson. He didn't forget that. So I don't think, honestly, he would go to Chicago remembering what happened a few years ago when the Bears ignored him. So that, to me, that, that pipe dream, that hope is out. So if you're Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, when your jobs are on the line, I'll ask you this. If you were in their position, if you were the head coach of the Bears, if you were the GM of the Bears, and you needed a quarterback to really pop, or you were fired, are you going to trust Jameis Winston? Are you going to trust your job security with Jameis Winston? How about Andy Dalton? Cam Newton? Fitzmagic. You, you want to trust your career, your livelihood with Ryan Fitzpatrick's up and down play? I'm not doing it. No shot. The only savior, the only saving grace for these two guys to keep their jobs is Russell Wilson. So you have both the general manager and the head coach on the same page where they need to make a splash. They need to make a massive splash. So I think draft picks, players, whatever it takes, this will happen. I think they honestly will make a trade for Russell Wilson. Because let's also not forget, because it takes two to tango, right? It takes two to make a trade. We know Russell Wilson's unhappy. He hasn't demanded a trade, but he has let it be known that, hey, I want to be in Seattle, but if things don't work out, here are four teams I want to go to. Well, since Russell Wilson voices disgruntlement, uh, his displeasure last month, teams have been calling, and from reports you hear, Seahawks exactly haven't been ignoring those calls. They've been listening. They've been making a few calls of their own. So they are at least considering it. And if you're the Bears, the thing you're going for you Sure, you don't have a top two or three pick like the Jets or the Dolphins. You don't have a young quarterback to offer in a trade return. But here's what you do have. Look at the head coach and his philosophy out there in Seattle with Pete Carroll. What does Pete Carroll want to do? How does he want to win games? He wants to run the ball. 
He wants to play great defense. He wants to not turn the ball over. Really, the antithesis of what Russell Wilson and his philosophy in offense is, that's what Pete Carroll's philosophy in offense is. That's, I mean, the cause for the whole rift, right? Russell Wilson's upset because he wants basically the handcuffs off. He wants to cook like he did in the first half of the year. Pete Carroll gets nervous and says, no, I want to run the ball. I want to be conservative. I want to play great defense. I want to play not to lose. So we're going to throttle the offense down. So he wants to have a conservative game plan. Russell Wilson wants an aggressive game plan. Well, great news if you're a Bears fan. Great news if you're Chicago. Because you can dangle a few lines out there because you have what Pete Carroll wants. Pete Carroll wants to have a great run game. Pete Carroll wants to have a great defense and win the game that way. Well, what do the Bears have to offer? They have a great defense. They have players that they can offer that Pete Carroll would salivate over. The Bears have Khalil Mack. You have Roquan Smith, a great young linebacker. You have Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, two great young secondary pieces. What does Seattle need? Help really on every level of the defense. Khalil Mack can help getting after the pass rusher. Uh, actually, get after the quarterback. He provides a, a, a great pass rush option that the, the um, Seahawks really greatly missed, especially the first half of last year. Two great secondary pieces that Seattle desperately, desperately needs. They are the 31st worst pass defense or the second worst pass defense, excuse me, in the NFL last year. They have a young running back in David Montgomery, because don't forget Chris Carson, their current running back in Seattle, is a free agent. Doesn't look like he will return. So you offer a young running back that maybe could work out better in Seattle than did Chicago. So sure, in terms of draft picks, it's not sexy because the Bears right now are 20th. So it's not a very high pick. But don't forget that Seattle doesn't have a first-round pick this year because they traded it to the Jets for Jamal Adams. But the Bears, to me, have two positions, positional groups in mind, in my mind, that Pete Cow would love. So if you basically open the book, if you're Ryan Pace and you call Seattle, you call John Schneider, the GM, or maybe you talk to Pete Cow directly, say, Pete, we got what you want. We will open up whatever, uh, uh, we will open up whatever option and possibility you have. Look at our defense. Basically, take your pick of the litter. You want Roquan Smith? He's yours. You want Khalil Mack? He's yours. You want Kyle Fuller? He's yours. You want all three? They're yours. Tempt Pete Carroll with what he wants but doesn't have. A great defense built on solid, foundational defensive players. I love Bobby Wagner. He is great. Jamal Adams, as we saw, was a spark plug. That defense still stunk. Can't add enough young talent to that team. I think any of the Bears defensive players they have to offer, Seattle would jump out in a heartbeat. So being the business minor that I am when I started at Penn State, supply equals demand. Less supply now because Dak Prescott, another quarterback off the market this year, next year, the next few years, Less supply of good quarterbacks available to the Bears. To me, that means their demand is going even higher and through the roof. They have no really options. They're backed into a corner where it's basically a home run or bust. They need to hit the ball out of the park with a quarterback or Ryan Pace is on the street, Matt Nagy's on the street, and they're fired at the end of the year. Remember, when we were in college, we did whatever it took to get a few bucks in our pocket to have a fun Friday night. 
Bears want to have fun Friday nights. If Matt Nagy wants to have a fun Friday night, the price of admission for doing that is Russell Wilson. So I think to me, I think, again, while the Bears were never in the running for Dak Prescott specifically, the, again, just the le- one less quarterback to work with or maybe even hang your hat on next year is gone. I think this, this really puts the, the Bears' focus in overdrive when it comes to trying to get Russell Wilson in a trade. He is the best option. He's the only option for these two to keep their job. Excuse me. And the Bears have what the Seahawks want. Great young defensive pieces, a great young running back. I think the Bears will do whatever it takes. Give an offer Seattle can't refuse. And I truly do believe week one of the 2021 season, as much as it honestly get me annoyed, because I, I don't want this regime to get bailed out by almost luck, desperation, because they don't have a plan. They were brought back without a plan for quarterback. They don't really know what they're doing. They don't know how to scout quarterbacks. Because every quarterback they've been in has been a flop. They don't know how to scout quarterbacks. They don't really know what they're looking for. But they could luck themselves into a transcendent top three quarterback in the NFL because of desperation. And to me, that's the only, like, it, it is Russell Wilson or bust for the Bears. And really, there's no even bust option. So I do think, in part because Dak now is signed and off the market, I think this will turn the Bears' desperation up level even a little bit more. And I think they are going to make a trade for Russell Wilson. So I'm curious your thoughts. Can you see it happening? Can you see a Russell Wilson to Chicago trade going down this offseason? Do you think there's any chance Russell Wilson is traded, or is this just all overblown? Is this just fun radio talk, but in reality, there's no shot he's getting traded? Let's not forget. Seahawks are listening. If they were staunchly against trading Russell Wilson, you wouldn't even answer the phone. They're listening. They're pottering their options, and I think the Bears can offer them a, a, a trade they cannot refuse. So I think Russell Wilson will be a Bear week one, 2021. I'm curious your thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Same avenues if you want to get on the DAC conversation. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter, Will Russell Wilson be a Chicago Bear? Is it worth it for the Bears to go all in? Is it worth it for them to give up three first-round picks, three defensive starters? I think 100% is. To me, there's no price too large for for Russell Wilson. So if it's Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, and let's say Kyle Fuller, plus three first-round picks for Russell Wilson, where where do I sign? If I'm Ryan Pace, if I'm Matt Nagy, where do I sign? I am all in. All in. So get your thoughts. Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. And when we come back, when we return, there's one team in the NBA that does everything right. They have all the traits, all the qualities of a championship winner. But despite that, no one actually believes in them. No one thinks that they are legit. We'll discuss that team and why you should believe in them. Next, it is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. That's right. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The one-year anniversary, March 11th, 2020. Really, the whole world changed. Rudy Gobert, his positive COVID test came back. 
NBA postponed games after tonight. The last real day, and really the last first half of the day that was normal of sports in our country, at least for obviously the foreseeable future. Thankfully, one year later, as we said on the one-year anniversary of the last real day on the sports calendar for 2020. Last, no, I should say no, normal day, not real day, the last normal day. It's At least it's good to be where we are now. It's good that sports are back. I saw a tweet from Pat Forty. Very true. 57 conference basketball uh, games being played today. Conference tournament basketball games from 11.30 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. Remember, this March 12, 2020, there were zero games. So nice to see that everything has kind of come back. We're slowly now opening up stadiums. You can go back to games. And we are getting back to some normalcy here. It is, it is so good. It is so, so good to be kind of getting back there, inching our way back to life as we know. It's good to see that sports leagues are starting again to become, as we've seen them in the past, full stadiums, fans, excitement, a lot of buzz, a lot of energy, a lot of fun. Great to see that, you know, we're returning back to normal. Speaking of which, I want to ask you this question. I'll ask you straight up. In my mind, the Jazz are legitimate finals contenders. I want to ask you, though, if you are not a believer in Utah, if you don't think that they can get it done, if you are one of those, ah, uh, you know, regular season team, they can't get it done in the playoffs, why? Why? Because I'll ask you this. We'll get to it in a second here. But they do everything a, a title, a finals contender does right. So that's good. If you watch the Jazz um, and you see how they play, you see that they play a championship style of basketball. So why... If you see that, why don't you believe what your eyes tell you? Why don't we look at the games instead of just relying on a box score? Why don't we look at how the game is or how they're playing? And even if you do, how come you're still not all in on Utah? The Jazz aren't a mirage. They're not playing tricks on you with your eyes. They're not, you know, fooling you with little smoke and mirrors here. This seems legit. 27-9 and nine record, best in the NBA. Obviously, they're first in the West, first in all of uh, basketball in terms of record-wise. They have three All-Stars on their roster, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Mike Conley was Adley. So when it comes to me personally, I am trusting my eyes. I'm trusting what I'm seeing when it comes to the Utah Jazz, and I fully believe they are legitimate title contenders. They can give the Lakers a run for the money, give the Clippers a run for the money. This segment is more about those who don't believe. I would love to try to turn your brain around, and maybe at least give you something to look forward to the second half of the year, and maybe open up your thinking a little bit. Because if you don't believe in the Jazz, for one reason or another, I'd love to know why. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. I would love to know why you're not a believer. Because like I said before, your eyes aren't deceiving you. They do everything championship teams do great. How do you win in today's NBA? How is, in today's game, teams have success? Great three-point shooting, right? I think it's fair to say you have to have a three. It's almost like it's almost to the point where in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. You know that saying? In the NBA, it's almost like if you can't shoot the three, you really don't have a chance. So they can shoot the three, shoot it very well. They have consistent scoring up and down their lineup, and they play really solid defense. Which say what you want about defense. Defense matters in the playoffs. So they do the three areas that championship teams do. They do all three very well. Look at three-point shooting. They are first in the NBA. First. 
in all the NBA in three-pointers per game made, 17.1. So not only are they making a ton of threes per game, they're shooting them at a high clip. They are third in the NBA in field goal percentage from three, shooting just under 40% as a team, 39.8. So they shoot the three, they shoot it a lot, and they make it a lot. They're very efficient. Their offensive rating, excuse me, is second in all the NBA, only behind the Brooklyn Nets. They are fourth in defensive rating, so top five in offensive rating, top five in defensive rating. They are tremendous on the glass, second in terms of in all the NBA in defensive rebounding. And they don't allow the three. So they hit the three, a key. They don't allow the three because their opponents are only shooting 35.4%, sixth in the NBA in terms of opponent field goal percentage. So despite this, again, despite being very adept and skilled at shooting the three, despite the fact that they offensively, defensively are very balanced, and despite that they don't allow the three-point shot, they don't allow second-chance opportunities, small areas that kill you in the playoffs, that come back to really bite you, they do all those areas well, but they're still not bleak. I understand it's... The All-Star game, so the context itself is not exactly dissing the Jazz, the team. But if you remember last week during the All-Star draft, when LeBron and KD were going back and forth picking players, well, the two players left. The last two players picked in the schoolyard draft were Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Jazz players. The two Jazz players that made it initially were the last two picked. And remember, LeBron said, oh, you know, no disrespect to Utah. It's growing up, we're playing... NBA 2K or NBA Jam, I forget the, the video game he listed. Um, we just don't play with Utah. Stockton Malone, we didn't really play with them. They're not a flashy team. So is that a reason why you're not believing? Is it just because they named the Jazz across the, the chest? If it was any other team, if, this, you, if you put this team in Lakers jerseys or Clippers jerseys or Celtics jerseys or Knicks jerseys or maybe not the Knicks or, or Heat jerseys, Bucks jerseys, are we believing in, in the Jazz? Are we viewing the Jazz differently? If their name wasn't the Utah Jazz. I think so. Which is another reason why you got to just trust me when I'm telling you. And trust your eyes when you watch this team. They are legit. They are legit. Because I understand the easy answers when the playoffs come out. It's going to be the Clippers and the Lakers. Ah, they just, they're two talented teams on paper. That's how it's going to work out. The NBA, as we know, for the most part, the most talented team win every year. Clippers, ton of talent. Lakers, ton of talent. Bucks, Sixers, Nets, all accumulate a ton of talent. So sure, Rudy Gobert is not a household name. Donovan Mitchell is not a flashy star like a Steph Curry or a Damian Lillard or a Kevin Durant. But they do everything well that championship teams need to do in order to win. So just because it's the Jazz, don't let the name, don't let the location and the past history Cloud your view when you're watching this team. Let's also look roster-wise, because again, as we know, the NBA regular season, the NBA postseason, two different animals. You could be a great regular season team and flop in the, in the playoffs. You'd be an eh, okay regular season team and come alive in the playoffs because that's how you're built. Let's look at the roster of the Jazz quicker here. Because to me, they have the perfect roster, especially where they are in the West, to have success and shut down other teams. Rudy Gobert. In Rudy Gobert, they have a tremendous rim defender that can guard Anthony Davis, can guard Nikola Jokic. He can match up with the big men in the West, and there's a good amount of them. 
And he's a defensive player of the year candidate. So you have a rim protector down low that can handle guys like Anthony Davis, who, as we know, can take over games. We saw in the bubble last year. His dominance when you don't have someone that can lock him down. You have Donovan Mitchell, who is just a scorer. That's what he is. He can score from anywhere on the court. He scores and scores consistently. Boyan Bogdanovich can drill you from deep. Mike Conley is a tremendous ball handler. He really gets that offense going. He gives them some good juice. Bench-wise, it's not like, you know, the, the bench is awful. Jordan Clarkson, going to be the sixth man of the year. He provides tremendous scoring off the bench. And two, I don't think we should take this lightly because we saw it happen with the Clippers who come back to bite them. The Jazz have a ton of continuity. They returned a very similar team from last year in the bubble to this year. So they were able to learn their lessons about what happened in that first round exit when they blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets. They were able to practice together, have that burning feeling from the early exit. Not to mention, they know where they are on the court. They know the strengths of each player. Continuity, I don't think it should be something that should be overlooked. And that's just what we saw in the playoffs last year. The lack of continuity, you can blame for the Clippers blowing their own 3-1 lead to the Nuggets last year. And after the season, what happened? You hear some stories about disgruntlement between bench players and star players. Kawhi and PG weren't really taken, weren't really, I guess, view or didn't really ingratiate themselves to the rest of the team. There, there was some resentment there. The lack of continuity in the end, you can really pin on why the Clippers blew a through and lead and didn't make it to the Western Conference Finals to play the Lakers. The Jazz have continuity. So again, if you're listening, I would love to ask, why aren't you a believer in the Jazz? Why don't you think they can match up with the Lakers, match up with the Clippers, take down the Nuggets, take down the Mavericks, take down whoever, what team you want to put on in the West? They can. Not to mention, too, when you look at it in terms of playoff um, built, they're not the Bucks. What do we know about the Bucs last few years? The Bucs are, are a tremendous regular season team that when you get them in a seven-game series, when it's just you're, you're preparing for them and game planning for them every single day, they don't adjust enough and they don't have a, a, um, a scheme offensively, defensively that is conducive to series. One night, boom, they can really kill you offensively and defensively. When you have time to dissect what they're doing, there's a lot of holes offensively, defensively for the Bucs. They're not paper tigers. The Jazz, when they are just kind of compounding this great 27-9 record off of bad teams. They beat the Clippers twice. They beat the Bucks twice. They beat the Nuggets. They beat the Lakers. They've beaten some good teams. It's not them losing to every good team they play and beating the, the medium to mediocre teams. So again, I would love to know. I'd love to hear why if you are not a believer in the Jazz, what is the reason? They're legit. This team, in my mind, when you look at the West, it's a three-team race. Lakers, Clippers, Jazz. They legitimately can go head-to-head and take down the Clippers in a seven-game series. They legitimately can go head-to-head and take down the Lakers in a seven-game series. But why aren't you believing in it? Why aren't you, if you are not a um, backer, of Utah, if you're not believing them, if you roll your eyes, this whole thing, if you are sitting there, this is this is who I really want to talk to. If you are sitting there for the last 10 minutes, rolling your eyes at every reason why I give that you should believe in the Jazz, I would love to hear why. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Run Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. I don't, I don't get the 
lack of belief, the disrespect, if you will, um, when it comes to the Utah Jazz and what they've done so far. Trust your eyes. You're watching them. Trust your eyes and believe what you're watching is real. Not a mirage. Not smoke and mirrors. Not pulling the old okey doke. This is real. And if you're not a believer, okay. I guess if I can't, if you can't list or hear the reasons I list, and you're still not a believer, I'm not going to get you. But I guess that means you have to wait till the postseason to truly believe. But this team is legit. This team is legit, and I don't, don't, don't get the slander, the disbelief, the mockery that comes when, when you try to say that the Jazz are legitimate. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, and I'd love to hear your reasons. If you are not a believer in the Jazz, if you don't think that they can get it done, if you don't think they're a legitimate contender in the West, why? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. Are you a believer in the Jazz? Can they win it all? If not, I'd love to hear why. And when we come back, speaking of the NBA, do you like fun? Do you like fun? A very obvious question. I understand. But not everyone thinks and believes the answer is yes. There is an article in ESPN posted that is trying to take some of the fun out of the NBA. I'll explain what that is next. It is the Ryan Aker Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Black Jesus. Welcome on in to the Ryan Hickey Show. Welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show. This is your first time listening. Welcome. We're here every Monday and Thursday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. We appreciate you making us part of your Thursday morning. We're coming to you live as we always are from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where there's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, classic New York pizza joint in Bayshore as well, or online wherever you are at Big italypizza.com Some big breaking news here in the NFL. As we know now, the cap is set. The new league year starts St. Patrick's Day, less than a week, and all teams have to be under the $182.5 million cap that is set by the NFL, and now teams are making cuts in order to get under that number. The Chiefs with two surprising cuts. Both of their starting tackles from last year, Eric Fisher released Mitchell Schwartz released. If you remember, Eric Fisher started every game up until, um, unfortunately, hurting his Achilles in the AFC title game. Mitchell Schwartz missed a a good majority of the year um, from back injuries. So both of those guys out in Kansas City. It looks like the Chiefs will have new new tackles on both sides of the line protecting Patrick Holmes next season. Interesting. So we'll get back to the NFL in a little bit here. Um, I do want to talk about fun. I want to ask you, basically, do you like fun? Do you enjoy, now, especially in sports, watching athletes show off their athletic ability? Or does that not really enjoy you? Does that not really tickle your fancy? Do you rather see bogged down offenses, boring plays, um, brute strength, but really nothing else? 
because there are some NBA league insiders, some NBA executives, some NBA coaches that essentially are saying that they rather right now see the game change for the worse in the NBA. They don't think the league is fun right now and rather see changes to go back to similarly what used to happen before when defenses were more um, physical, when scoring was a lot harder to come by. We'll say that. Because Kevin Arnovitz, very talented reporter over at ESPN, he talked to these executives, insiders, coaches. They were talking about the three-point barrage that's going on in the NBA. And in their minds, the people who talked to thought that the three-point shot in the NBA has become too popular. Too many teams are relying on the three. And because of that, other facets in the game of basketball are being lost. <sighs> wow. Okay. So how do I equate this? Because I think this is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life, to be honest. I think this is the, the total opposite of what the NBA should be thinking and what the, the NBA should be saying. But I will equate these executives, insiders, coaches that Kevin Arnovitz talked to. I will equate them, believing that the three-pointer is too relied upon in the game. I will equate it to my fandom, my NBA fandom, growing up as a kid. And here's what I mean by that. So growing up, I, like a lot of kids, um, adopted my dad's teams. Big Mets fan, boom, I'm a Mets fan. He's a big Colts fan from Giantitis, boom, I'm a big Colts fan. Notre Dame, as you can see behind me, massive Notre Dame family. So I adopted whatever he did. And in our house, at least growing up, we were more of a college basketball family. We watched Notre Dame basketball, but even, you know, my dad going to St. John's, he's a big Big East basketball fan. So we, we watched a lot of Big East basketball. And for the most part, I really had a hard time gravitating towards the NBA. My dad was not really a big NBA fan, so I never really kind of got into it. And when I did, when I tried to get into it, I could never really enjoy it because anytime I would watch the NBA, to me, it almost felt like it was too easy. In the early 2000s, mid-2000s, late 2000s, it almost felt like defenses were never re rewarded. Because even though, even back then, defenses were, were more intense, they were more in your face, but even when you would get a hand in the face of a shooter, even when you would box out and play great defense, these guys were so talented and so good that the shot was going in anyway. I, they're professionals for a reason. But because I watched college basketball so much, these games were low scoring, it almost felt like you had to earn it on offense. So even though you, you know, these players would miss wide open shots sometimes, as you know, college basketball, it's very, very hit or miss, very mercurial in terms of knocking down shots when you're relying on college kids. It's very inconsistent. So watching a lot of college basketball, it almost felt like they earned offense more than the NBA. They earned it more because it just came so easy that even when, when you're forcing a bad shot, fading away in the corner, the players are so uh, talented and so good that they would hit it anyway. And I just had a hard time gravitating that to that early because I just ah, that's a little too easy. But I missed the point. Looking back now, being a big NBA fan where I am now compared to when I was growing up, I can look back and say I missed the point about the NBA. Because I should have been enjoying the talents that these guys had. I should have been enjoying that you can hit a, a one-legged fadeaway 20 feet from the basket with a hand in the face and knock it down easily. I should have been enjoying that instead of almost taking it for granted or using it as an excuse to not watch because ah, it's too easy, so what's the point? So now when I hear the story about some uh, executives, insiders, coaches even, Thing that the three is too relied upon. It's almost too easy of a shot now because everyone is doing it. I think those executives, coaches, insiders are like me with my NBA fandom growing up. They are taking for granted right now the 
ease of the three-point shot, but not only the ease, but how it opens up the floor and how it really accentuates the athletic ability of every single player on the court. So they're using the athleticism that's on display. They're using the skill and the speed that's on display in scoring more. And they're using it as an excuse or as a reason to bemoan the sport instead of being in awe and like, wow, these guys are so talented, so good. Our league is in such a good spot because we are showcasing on a nightly basis the greatest talents that these guys have to offer. So instead of getting frustrated like I did, that it was too easy, how about you look on the other side of the coin? Enjoy it. Realize that, wow, they make it look so easy because they are athletic freaks. Because the game and the skills have been honed to the point where we've never seen players this good before. And enjoy that instead of using that as an excuse to look for changes in the game or say that it's ruining the game. Because at least to me, I think the the, the reliance on the increase in three-point shooting, it's made the game better. Because you know what it does? It allows players to show off their athletic talents more than ever. Why is that? Because now the floor is more spaced out. Everyone is shooting threes. The center, the seven-foot center, is shooting threes. So everyone can be out on the perimeter. What does that do? That opens up lanes to drive the ball. Opens up more space for stepbacks. It allows more space to drive and kick and have some tremendous passes. It allows these players to work one-on-one and knock down some acrobatic shots. The NBA now, in today's day and age, is built on speed and athleticism And what does that result in? Exciting plays. That's what you want to see. We want to see these guys show off their athletic ability. We want to praise guys like Zion because we've never seen someone that can jump aside that is so so explosive at someone of his size. Shouldn't we be using that as a prop up to, to promote the league instead of trying to tear it down saying, oh, these guys are scoring too easy. Our league stinks. The ball movement in the, in the NBA now, because everyone can shoot, everyone can shoot threes, and defense is more spread out. To me, the ball movement is greater, and it's become almost, the game has become more of, about art than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when it was really just about brute strength. Who was the strongest guy? Because remember hand-checking back in the day? Defenses, you know, you give it with murder down in the paint. So really, the only way you scored is by out-muscling your defender. Driving hard, they're going to hack it. Can you have enough muscle to put it up and get it in? That's, I'm sorry, that's, that's just boring. Seeing the strongest guy win every time, there's no excitement there. There's no drama there. But now when you see these guys wide open, using their speed, using their athletic ability, using their shooting to shoot the ball all over the court, that is exciting. And look how it's developed players. Look how the game has changed to where everyone is maximizing their talents. In a game, like we said, that is now really predicated on the three-point shot. If you can't shoot the three, you don't have a chance. Look how that's forced the transition of players, even the, the players' style and what bodies they kind of have. Because in a game where it is a guard league, now it's transitioned. you got to have shooters on the floor. Some of the most dominant teams so far in the first half of the NBA season, some of the most dominant players we've seen in the NBA are big men. The Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Sixers, Joel Embiid. The Nuggets, Nicole Jokic. All three of those guys have evolved their game, Jokic and Embiid specifically, to where they can knock down threes at a consistent clip. Jokic is one of the best point guards and assist men we've seen in the game. The way he passes the ball is tremendous. 
So again, I go back and I equate it to my NBA fandom growing up where I use the ease of knocking down shots as an excuse to say, ah, I'm not going to get into it because you know what? I feel personally you got to earn it more in college basketball because shots don't come that easy. The NBA executives that they talk to that are, are fearful that the three is taking over the, the league and making it worse, not better, is missing the forest for the trees because we should be praising. We should be in awe every night that a seven-foot-three center can hit a shot 25 feet out, that can drop dimes down in the paint or throw assists across the court. That should be used as a reason to market the league, to be proud of. They try to use it as a detriment, viewing it as bad for the NBA. To the point where there was one, <laughs> this is real. This is, I promise you this is a, a real quote. In that ESPN article we, we just referenced by Kevin Arnovitz, he talked to someone Remain anonymous, and this is this is real, this is legit. He wanted to remain anonymous unless this idea was universally praised, then he'll go out and take credit for it. His idea was to limit the three-point shot by only allowing 23-point attempts per team for the first 42 minutes of the game. Then he said the last six minutes, open season. So teams can only shoot 23s for the first 42 minutes. We are at the point where now we are making the game worse or think about ways to make the game worse than make the game better. How does limiting the amount of three-point shots, how does trying to close off the court where now you're trying to almost funnel everything down low, how does that make the game better? It doesn't. The game is high-flying, fast transition offense. Guys are flying, throwing dunks on, shooting incredible shots, crazy crossovers. Behind the back passes. It's fun and exciting. You know what's not? You know a comparison in another sport that has issues that has to try to change the game, but it's totally different? Home runs in baseball. I've said on this show before, and I do believe, personally, there's too many home runs in baseball. I think not only there's too many home runs in baseball, the strategy and the approach of hitters is ruining the game. Because now with analytics, now with the three true outcomes in baseball of a walk, strikeout, or home run, Players are getting paid, and their main goal is, no matter if it's one strike, two strikes, doesn't matter what the situation is, hit a home run. Every single time they come to play, it's hit a home run. Even if you need a sack fly to win the game, it's how can I hit a home run? And the reason why, to me, baseball is a serious problem with too many home runs is that there's not enough action. It takes away from the players using their athletic abilities on the field because instead there's really no action. Sure, the ball hits out of the park. Awesome. But are you seeing the speed from the outfielders? Are you seeing the speed of the base runners going from first to third or first to home or trying to leg out a triple? To me, that's what's exciting when you see these guys being able to show off their arm in, if you're in the field, being able to show off your athletic ability and your speed if you're a batter. Those players in the balls and play with stays in the park is where you see these athletes at their finest. That's why, to me, I don't like the home run and the rate of home runs because strikeout, no action. Home run, sure, you could see how far he hits. But other than that, there's no reaction. And there's guys, a lot of standing around. So baseball play in every sport. But baseball players, they're faster, bigger, and stronger. Same with the NBA. Except with the NBA, the three-point shot is opening up the court to allow for these guys to accentuate their athletic ability to make highlight real plays every single night where the home run, in my mind at least, is making the game more boring. So I, I don't understand, and I can't wrap my head around the philosophy that there's too many home runs in baseball. I, the, I, I do get that. I can't understand 
by there there are people in the NBA that think the three point shot is bad for the league. I don't get it. Do you feel that way? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports on Network, Twitter WWSRN underscore radio, add Ryan Hickey Show. When did anyone ever think less less athleticism, less speed, more bogging down the game? is good for the, uh, the NBA, good for fans. That's what you want to see. There's always this romanticism, and being 26, I didn't get to see it live, but obviously the last dance helped fill in a lot of the pieces. We all watched the last dance last year. There's this romanticism so much about late 80s, early 90s basketball, really the Bulls were at their, you know, they're at their heyday, at their peak. But how the NBA hasn't been the same since. I'm not taking anything away from that era, and I'm not trying to take any, anything away from Michael Jordan. But I think it's so easy to reminisce and forget just truly how brutal some of the offenses were back in those times. Like, sure, you, you want to complain about the offense being too much. I, I don't get, I, to me, I don't understand why limiting athletic ability, rewarding players, so again, just being flat out stronger not more than anything else, not being skilled, just being having brute strength. How that makes the game more exciting. We are about entertainment. We are about excitement. That's what the three-point shot has done. That how It's how it's opened up the floor. We want to see guys, four guys in the paint trying to drive in there, clogging up the paint, seeing games 70 to 68. Sure, NBA scoring is the highest. It's so far in the first half, teams are averaging 112 points per game. That would be the highest average in 50 years. But is that really a bad thing? Let me ask you this, because the NBA as well, they are the sport that I'll say in terms of growth has the most rapid growth over the last decade. The NBA, I mean, the NFL is just consistently up, right? They are just continuing to grow. They are monsters. They are up, 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 up. It's them in terms of the sporting landscape and everybody else. But the NBA, if you look at their popularity, how it's almost exploded the last decade, in part is because of social media. But in part, those too, because on social media, there was a ton of highlights from each and every game. Big dunks, crazy finishes, you know, crazy crossovers, insane step-back shots that go in. Why does the NBA want to bite the hand that feeds them and take those away instead of promoting and making it more? So I, I mean, as you can see, I think there's absolutely zero issue with the NBA and the three-point shot. Don't think it's over-relied upon. Don't think it's an issue. If anything, to me, I think it's made the game better, not worse. But the ESPN article that was published, executives, insiders, some coaches, believe the three-point shot is ruining the game of basketball. It's become a bad thing, not a good thing. So I'm curious your thoughts. Where do you stand on it? If you're an NBA fan, do you like the way the game is played now? Do you like the three-point barrage where teams are chucking it up, but at the same time, opening up the floor allows for some, some athleticism to be shown off? Or do you agree? Should we limit the amount of three-point shots? Should we find a way to cut back on teams chucking up 40, 45, 50 threes a game? Is it too much in your mind? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. We'll get your thoughts, and when we come back, we'll play a little game in the NBA. Contender or pretender? A great first half for a few teams, a surprising first half for some teams. Can they keep it up? Can they be a legitimate NBA Finals contender? Or 
Are they playing a joke on us? They're just pretenders. We'll get to that next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. That is right. It is happening right here, as it always does, every Monday and every Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And important, not just for this show, but especially for the rest of the network here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You got to stay in tune. Easy to stay up to date. Easy to keep uh, stay in touch, I should say, with everything that goes on in the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Liking us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Uh, following us on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Downloading the app, WWSRN if you have an iPhone, Worldwide Sports Radio Network if you have an Android. Liking us on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We're on Twitch. That's right. We're all over the digital platform, WWSRN underscore radio, same thing as Twitter. So you download that, you like us, you follow us. That keeps you in tune with the tremendous shows, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that we have on the network. Constantly evolving, constantly growing. And we have shows of all different varieties. Wrestling, gambling, national shows, NBA shows, baseball shows. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to listen to, don't worry. We got you covered here on the Worldwide Sports Network. How you stay up to date, how you don't miss out. Liking us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, downloading the app. All very easy ways to stay in tune with the Worldwide Sports Network. I highly suggest you do it. You won't be disappointed. So we don't do this a lot here on the Ryan Hickey Show, and I would like to do it a lot more. we, we got to play some games. we got to keep it loose, have some fun. So we're going to try to do that here. Play a little game, contender or pretender. We get ready here for the second half of the NBA season to commence Really tonight, there's two games last night, but let's just call it for what it is. We're really getting geared up for tonight. So some teams had a surprising and, and uh, unexpected, we'll say, first half of the season. Who could continue it? Who could be a contender going forward? Who will be a pretender that will fade out and not really make so much noise in the playoffs? It was all with the Boston Celtics, team that we all thought would have been contenders coming into the year. Not the great, not the greatest first half of the year. 19 and 17, fourth in the Eastern Conference so far. They have won four in a row to end, end the uh, All-Star break, so they're coming up a little bit of a hot streak here. I'm going to say the Boston Celtics are pretenders, and here's why. The reason why they're losing isn't because their stars aren't playing well, and that's just something that could turn around, right? It's not that Jason Tatum has been in a slump or has missed time. It's not like Jalen Brown has regressed. Those guys are playing very well. Jalen Brown took a massive step this year. Made his first All-Star game. Jason Tatum, another All-Star this year as well. So those guys are playing really well for basically the most part of the season. But they're still struggling because their depth. Their depth has been an issue all season long. They've slowly lost veteran after veteran the last few years. So now with a bunch, their bench is filled with a lot of unproven players and a lot of young players. So when you're relying on, on the likes of Grant Williams, Tristan Thompson, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard... I don't see much changing from the first half to the second half. I don't see these guys all of a sudden magically 
becoming great, becoming experienced, becoming legitimate contributors to where the Celtics are going to give the Nets or the Bucks or the Sixers a run for their money. I'm sorry, I don't. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum have been great. When you have two stars, you have a shot. But the lack of depth that they have really does concern me. I don't see that changing really at all this year. The Boston Celtics, in my mind, are pretenders going forward for the rest of the season. How about the Suns? Speaking of surprise, whew, scorching start to the year, 24-11. Second in the Western Conference. How about that? The Western Conference, just as we thought all along at the All-Star break, Jazz won, Suns two. Yeah, we all knew that coming. They are a pretender, and here's why. They've been playing some great basketball of late. I just want to highlight this. So they're 16-3 in the last 19 games heading to the All-Star break. They have impressive wins. They beat the Mavericks twice. They beat the Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Lakers. They beat some good teams. If you go back to the bubble, remember in the bubble, they went 8-0, just missed out on the playing game because they're so far behind. Will you take that 8-0 start in the bubble, put that here with what they've done, the Suns are 32-11 since the bubble started. Best regular season record in that time, by the way. So there is not a team hotter right now than the Suns in the regular season. But with that said, what does worry me, what does have me concerned when it comes to the playoffs, is their play down low. We highlighted before and talked about the Jazz, and I'll bring it up here in a second again. So we the Jazz have the roster and the pieces in place to take down the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, in part because Rudy Gobert is a rim defender that can match up against AD, Nikola Jokic. The issue with the Suns is I get worried that DeAndre Aiden can't be, I don't, I don't actually, I shouldn't even say I'm worried. I don't think he can be up to the test. Now, I like him. He, he's growing. He's getting better. I just think he's too young right now. I think the Suns right now are in a spot where they're playing above their head, almost similar, and ironic too, because Chris Paul has been at both spots the last few years. Very similar to me to the Thunder last year, where obviously the Suns are better. But the Thunder kind of surprised people to where they're almost a year ahead of schedule um, with the talent that they have. And they're kind of playing over their head with, with the youth on the roster. That's what I kind of viewed the Suns. Where they, I mean, we thought they'd be a playoff team. Didn't think for sure they'd be second in the West in the All-Star break. That, that good. But they are kind of playing a little over their head. Well, I think once the playoffs come, they'll have a tough time, in part because the download play, DeAndre just can't match up with Anthony Davis or the Joker, or Rudy Gobert. I think that's going to be a, a massive weakness for Phoenix going forward. And two, I, I do take playoff experience into factor outside of... Um, Jay Crowder has had some good playoff experience in with Chris Paul, but guys like Devin Booker, especially Aiden in specific, I think this would be a good learning experience for them, and this would be a good test for them. But when it comes to trying to take the Suns seriously, at least in 2021, um, in terms of playoffs, I don't. So that's why, to me, they are still pretending, despite the awesome start they've been off to. And they're a fun team. I really like watching the, uh, the Suns. Parker's the uniforms are fire. Fire. I, I, I got to – I actually feel confident saying this. The Suns, to me, have the best group of uniforms in the NBA. I love their alternates, the Valley. It's awesome. I love the color scheme. The purple jerseys are sick. The, the, the whites are clean. The orange is good. I love the way the Suns have their uniform layout. To me, it is impressive. It's fire. It's the best in the NBA. So I love watching them. I just think their playoff experience is going to come down and hurt them in the past. Let's go back to these. How about the Heat? Because they've been another team kind of struggling to get out of the gate here. If you remember, they were, you know, they with the Lakers had the shortest turnout of any team from last season's end to this season coming back. 
So they're 18 and 18. They're sixth currently in the East. But I'm going to say the Heat are a contender going forward, and here's why. A healthy Jimmy Buckets, to me, in an in a East that's still wide open, top-heavy, with the Celtic, I'm sorry, with, with the Sixers, the Bucks, and the, uh, the Nets at the top. I think it's still open. I think the Heat can, can make a run, do what they did last year, and repeat the performance they did last year. And in part, that is due to a healthy Jimmy Butler. So he's missed some time. He's been in the line, especially missed a good chunk um, back in January. So after a 2-8 stretch when Jimmy, Jimmy missed 10 games, he's returned since then. Since returning the lineup, for the most part, on a consistent basis, they've gone 11-5. He is that catalyst. He is, is the engine that makes that team run. Him there, you have, you have to give the Heat a shot. Not to mention, another young team, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Like, like the Heat are, are a young team. But with that said, they had tremendous experience in the bubble last year, making the run to the finals. They have that playoff experience that, to me, the Suns desperately need to have a chance. So when you look at Jimmy Butler, as long as he can stay healthy and be in the lineup, to me, that makes them better going forward. The young core around them played their best in the big moments last year. I think that's something you can replicate going forward and do that again. Even with the injuries and, and the lineup concerns, they're still a top 10 defense in the NBA. They're eighth in net rating defensively. Or eighth, I should say, in defensive rating. My apologies. So they're still playing good defense is a hallmark of an Eric Shabolster team. They can shoot the three. I think they'll get more consistent again with, with health. I think the Heat are a contender. They're going to get, you know, kind of their legs back on. I think the first half is, again, in part injuries, in, in part because of a quick turnaround. I think the second half of the year, they will ground into form and they will be a legitimate contender once we get to the playoffs. How about the Nuggets? Nuggets, to me, have been disappointing so far. 21-15, 6 in the West. Now, they had a nice win kind of going into the All-Star break. They just flew the doors off the Bucs. As we know, the Bucs are a good team. Nicole Jokic is playing out of his mind. With that said, I'm going to put the Nuggets as a pretender going forward, and here's why. I can just mention, Nicole Jokic has been a top three MVP candidate. He has 50 career triple-doubles. He reached that mark last week. The only other center to do uh, to eclipse 50 or more career triple-doubles, Will Chamberlain. Pretty good company to be in, if you ask me. The issue that was now with Nicole Jokic, if I'm a Nuggets fan and look at, at Denver, is Jamal Murray. Now, I think you know, uh, Jokic is the best player on that team, but the most important player on that team and who they need to play well is Murray, and he is not. Now, if you look at his stats career-wise, his numbers this year are better than his career stats in the past. When you look at his bubble numbers compared to what his stats are this year, they are down, and that's a problem. Because Jamal Murray getting in the zone last year, in part, helped the Nuggets overcome two straight 3-1 deficits to get to the Western Conference Finals. When you look at his numbers in the bubble compared to this year, his points per game, assists per game, Field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, all down this year compared to his play in the bubble. Now, again, the standard he set in the bubble, maybe it's unfair to be comparing his numbers then to his play now. But the thing is the Nuggets need him to get back to that bubble version if they want to have success, if they want to really run the table, especially now they're setting in sixth. I don't think they'll be able to top, uh, crack the top four. So it's going to be a tough road ahead for the Nuggets. That's why, to me at least, with Jamal Murray's inconsistency, I just, I can't trust him right now to play consistently good basketball down the stretch, heading to the playoffs on a night-in, night-out basis. That's why, to me at least, I will call the Nuggets a pretender.
two more here, both in the West. The Trailblazers, the Portland Trailblazers, despite the injuries that have come up so far, are hanging in there. 21-14, fifth in the Western Conference. I will say, in my mind, the Trailblazers are a pretender. Now, Damian Lillard, similar to Nicole Jokic, putting up MVP-like numbers for his team so far. Third in scoring in all the NBA, averaging just under 30 points per game. Now, the good news for the Blazers, too, is they should be getting healthy. Help is on the way. Yusuf Nurkic should be returning within the next two weeks, and that might even be a little conservative if you heard what he said on the jump. They're saying he thinks he's a week or two away from returning, which is huge. CJ McCollum starting to ramp up some practice time after that stress fracture in his foot. So resources are on the way. Help is on the way. Health is coming for the Blazers here. Let's go within the next month conservatively. So that's obviously a good sign going forward. But my concern about the Blazers is my same concern I have with the Suns. I think to me, they're just too vulnerable down low. Nurkic is a great big but defensively, I don't trust him to, to play well against Nikola Jokic if they face him, Anthony Davis if they face him, Rudy Gobert if they face him. I think to me, th those big men are too dominant right now that they'll overtake your, uh, Nurkic. We saw him really struggle in the bubble when they faced the Lakers in the first round last year in the playoffs where Anthony Davis feasted. There were really no answers down low, and they were, they were bullied. They were bullied down low. So physicality-wise, I do have my concerns about the Blazers, even though this is a... Three-point shooting league, it's a scoring league to the detriment of some in the NBA, uh, if you go back to our conversation we had last segment. With that said, you still need to be physical, so you still need to have a presence down low and just not get bodied, not get bullied. The game slows down in the playoffs. It's still a physical game in the playoffs. And with that said, I just don't trust the Blazers' physicality to get done. So that's why, to me at least, they've tread water so far. Again, 21-14, Nurkic is on the way. McCollum will be back sooner rather than later. I still will, will label the Blazers as a pretender right now for the 2021 playoffs. And finally, the Utah Jazz. Crazy me even considering them in, the, in this conversation. Number one in the West, number one in the NBA in terms of record, 27-9. But they don't have, to me, the respect of many when it comes to them being legitimate finals contenders. They're obviously going to make the playoffs. But when it comes to when push on the shove, when it comes to matching up against the Clippers or the Lakers or maybe even the Blazers in some people's minds or even the Nuggets, I don't think a lot of people take the Jazz seriously. But they are a legitimate contender in my mind. They do everything championship teams need to do well in order to have success. They shoot the three ball at a tremendous clip. Number one in the NBA in terms of made threes per game, 17.1. Third in the NBA in terms of three-point field goal percentage, knocking down just under 40%. Offensive rating, they're second only behind the Brooklyn Nets. Defensively, they are a great defensive team, fourth in net rating. They clean uh, fourth in defense. I don't know why I keep saying net rating. I'm sorry. It's like I have college basketball on the brain in one sense with net rating. Fourth in defensive rating are the Utah Jazz. Great on the glass, second in defensive rebounding. And they don't allow the three. So, to me, everything that you want a, a finals contending team to do well, the Utah Jazz do well. So this is not a fluke. Not a mirage, not smoke and mirrors. The Jazz are legitimate finals contenders. That's why, to me, they are a contender. That's why a lot of people are saying, eh, maybe not. So let's hear your thoughts. We went through a bunch of different teams there. Is there that one that sticks out in your mind that you vehemently agree with, vehemently disagree with? Who is, a, who is the biggest contender? But more importantly, we'll do a pretender. Who is the biggest pretender in the NBA when it comes to the playoffs?
Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show. Also on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts on when we come back. We'll hit on the biggest news and the biggest topic of the day. The Dallas Cowboys. To me, why they won the deal, why they won the contract with Dak Prescott. Not to mention why that deal. Now that Dak Prescott is locked up for the next four years. I think that's going to force a trade to go down in the NFL. That will be massive. Massive. We were talking about for a very long time. That would go down as a big blockbuster trade. We'll discuss that next to finish of the show. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to back the Ryan Hickey show, show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome on back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Eric, wrapping it up till 11 a.m. Eastern, right here with you on this Thursday morning. The one-year anniversary of Rudy Gobert's COVID test coming back positive. Game between the Thunder and the Jazz being postponed. And as we know, that was the precursor for the NBA shutting down and eventually the rest of sports shutting down a day later on March 12th. Um, and eerily, as we celebrate the one-year anniversary, now as we you know come full circle, we're starting to get back. We're talking, led the show with just talking about how so nice to at least see where we are a year from now. Sports back, looking like you know we're trending in the right direction with less COVID tests coming back positive for players, trying to get more fans in the stands. So it looks like we're starting to get back to some normalcy here. But we are in the middle of a pandemic. As we know, and unfortunately, that doesn't mean we're out of the woods quite yet. Some big breaking news from college basketball. The Duke Blue Devils are now out of the ACC tournament because they had a positive COVID test. One of the players tested positive. Obviously, in a tournament, it's every day. You're not going to push it back. Contact tracing, I'm sure they have to figure that, um, you know, go through that, and that could ding a lot of players as well. So because of the positive test, the ACC now has pulled Duke from the tournament, most likely because of where they are being intense and having a very up-and-down 2021 season. Their year is done. And this is the reminder, too. And I'll be honest, I kind of didn't really think about it. But now as we're here, obviously we're in conference tournament week. The tournament starts next week, really, you know, one week from today, a day and a day, well, a week and a day from today because it starts if you remember, the tournament now starts on a Friday this year instead of a Thursday. Don't really understand why, but so be it. You forget, too. With the tournament, you know, you get one of these tests, your team is done. And at least early on, you know, the NCA has um, put a provision where they're going to have teams on standby, if you will, for the first few days. If a player tests positive, this team is out, this team is in now. So the first four teams out, if you will, um, are going to be on standby for a few days to see if they will be put in because of um, COVID issues with other teams. But here's now a reminder because college basketball, it's been up and down. It's been a rough year. Teams like Baylor, one of the best teams in the country, they've had a long layoff because of um, COVID outbreaks in their team. It's been up and down for a lot of teams um, in college basketball, but just kind of like college football, we made it through. But unfortunately, this is still a reminder with Duke now being out of the ACC tournament that COVID's still around. 
still out there. Players can still get sick. And even though there's somewhat in a bubble, especially these conference tournaments, um, that still get sick. And as we see, there's no messing around. You're tested positive, boom, you're out. Be a crushing, crushing blow to a team's tournament hopes if you're on the bubble or a team's championship hopes if you're in the tournament, actually, to not get it, be able to play because of a positive test. So it is very exciting. Again, now we sit here one year removed from when things shut down during conference championship week. So close to the tournament um, before that was taken right away from us that even though we're back, even though the tournament is still going to go on, can't be too safe. You can't almost, you know, take your foot off the gas too much or um, ease up a bit because as you can see, boom. One test, your team is out, season over. Season over. No rescheduling, no pushback. Oh, we'll try to make up these games later date. It is done. Conference tournament-wise, and especially NCAA tournament-wise. Now it's, I mean, knock on wood, that does not happen. You don't take the wind out of the sails of the NCAA tournament. Man, could you imagine Final Four, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, one team advances automatically because there's a positive test. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that is not the case. This is the only team in Duke that has to face this consequence, unfortunately, of, of being removed from the tournament. Um, but it is a harsh, unfortunately, unfair reminder, if you will, that it's still out there. Still out there, so we'll see. Most likely, that looks like it's going to be the end of the season for the Duke Blue Devils. Florida State, their opponent tonight, moves on, gets another bye. And, um, yeah, just a, unfortunately, just a unfriendly reminder that we are still in the pandemic. Although things are trending up, vaccines are up, stadiums are starting to open up more, fans are starting to come back into the fold more, games are getting played. They are still not out of the woods yet. Hopefully, sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed, sooner rather than later. But it's still out there. Be safe. And hopefully, again, this is the first and only team that gets affected to their season. And on this note, because that has to be just devastating. Couldn't imagine. Having that kind of ripped out of you, ripped away from you, like just was last year. Although for obviously different reasons. So the big news of the day, before <laughs> to transition quickly here, no real uh, easy way to do so. So my apologies for a, a very quick hard left um but just a reminder just in case you are tuning in duke blue devils out of the acc tournament um because of positive covid test most likely their season because of the way it went not because of the test but most likely because you know they had a uh, very very down year for the blue devils their season is over so the big news of the day we're talking about if you want to get in here before we get out worldwide sports america facebook wwsrn underscore radio on twitter and ryan hickey show also on twitter to me, now that Dak Prescott has, has signed, he will, will meet Dallas the next four years. Despite getting what he wants in terms of a big contract, getting the financial security that he was seeking, that he wasn't afraid to say no to if the Cowboys weren't giving him a fair offer. He wasn't going to just take any deal. But now that Dak Prescott is locked up, saw a lot these last few days talking about how Dak took Jerry to the cleaners, Dak really won this deal. This is massive for him. He, you know, he showed out and he won and he took, you know, he took it to Jerry uh, money-wise. You could think that, and I'm happy for Dak. He got paid, and I'm glad he did. And this is a tremendous deal, all the guaranteed money. It is, his life has already changed for the better, obviously. 
With that said, though, to me, this is a bigger win for the Cowboys than it is for Dak Prescott. Dak was getting paid. Whether it was this year on the franchise tag at $37.7 million, then for agency, it wasn't like the Cowboys or no one was going to pay him. His price would have went up if he made it to free agency. So if you want to almost look at it in, in one sense, he almost took a pay cut, if you will, to stay with the Cowboys. In a sense where if he reached the open market, he's getting, to me, more than four years and 160. So he didn't have to do this deal because he's going to get paid anyway, whether it's this year or next year. That was the only question. When you're the Cowboys, you look at the options. They didn't have the same luxury that Dak did, where if it didn't get done, okay, not the end of the world, I'll still get mine in, in some sort of fashion, maybe just a little bit later on in the calendar than I thought. The Cowboys, if they didn't sign Dak Prescott, were screwed. They're screwed. They were screwed because when you look at the options, he was going to play if, if the long-term deal didn't come to fruition. Dak was given the franchise tag in 2021. I think that would have prevented um, a Russell Wilson trade from going down. I think it would have prevented a Sean Watson trade from going down. Not that I think either of those were likely. Anyway, from the outset, that really just kind of hammers home. I don't think it's going to go, uh, go happen. If you take out the two pipe dreams, you throw those out the window. Now you look at what you're left with. Well, the free agency quarterback market, a lot, of quali- a lot of quantity, a lot of names, a lot of bodies out there. But where's the quality? I don't see any. I don't see any. So even though the pool will be different next year than it is this year, any quarterback with talent isn't making it to free agency. So you're not going to find your next franchise quarterback on the open market. Currently right now, if the Cowboys wanted to, let's say maybe draft a quarterback this year, sit him for a year, if Dak played another franchise tag and then play next year, well, the Cowboys draft 10th. I don't think personally there will be a quarterback of their liking there at 10th. You read, you know, you look at a lot of these mock drafts, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, any draft expert that you respect, that you like, that you read, there was a big run on quarterbacks going early. Trevor Lawrence obviously going number one. Zach Wilson, he's going to go number two to the Jets. Maybe the Falcons go Justin Fields at four. Maybe the Broncos at nine. Panthers at seven if they don't get a quarterback or if they don't get Sean Watson, maybe they draft a quarterback. There's a lot of teams in the top 10 ahead of the Cowboys that need a quarterback that could easily draft one. So there could be, even though you're 10, not be a guy there for you to take. And if they don't draft a quarterback this year, you wait till next year. Well, Dak, as your quarterback, he's good enough or he's too good to where they're not going to have a top five pick. Even if the defense stinks. Even if they don't um, address the defensive unit at all this year. Still good enough to where they won't be a, a top five or top three team in the draft next year. So you will be even maybe further back next year than you were this year in terms of trying to draft your next franchise quarterback. So the options were slim to basically none. If you're the Cowboys and this deal didn't get done, they were desperate. They had to get it done. And not only did they get it done, to me, they got it done at a pretty team friendly rate. Four years, 160, $66 million signing bonus. Why that's significant? Because, sure, you pay a ton of money for Dak up front. Good for Dak. You sign one piece of paper, boom, $66 million in your bank account, just like that. Not a bad day. Love to, well, maybe one day I'd love to know what that feeling is like. To wake up and you look and you see all of those zeros. Man, I don't think my screen would be wide enough to fit all the zeros. Be incredible. But with that, with paying him all the money up front, 
his cap it for 2021 is just $22.2 million. That's 13th in the NFL of all quarterbacks. Guys like Teddy Bridgewater and Big Ben have a bigger cap hit than Dak. And I think it's no argument that they're better. I mean, Dak is, excuse me, Dak is better than Teddy. Dak is better than Big Ben at this age of his career. The Eagles are, are, are on their dead cap, have $33.8 million for Carson Wentz not to be their quarterback. Rams, equal to what Dak's cap it is at $22.2 million for Jared Goff not to be on the roster. So yeah, when you look at the deal, the money allocated in year one, you have so much flexibility that not only did you get the deal done when you didn't have many other options, you got it done to still give yourself a chance to address the team because as we know, there are so many holes on this roster they have to address. You give yourself a chance to do so by giving Dak a lot of money up front and making it essentially a team-friendly deal despite the fact that he's the second highest paid quarterback currently behind Patrick Mahomes. Think about that. And I do think quickly here, this move is going to force the Bears to be more desperate than ever. I think they're going to make an offer to the Seahawks the Seattle can't refuse. Open up the roster. Have Pete Carroll, who wants to run the ball and play great defense, take a pick of the litter of any defensive player if you want. We just want Russell Wilson. If you want Khalil Mack, Kyle Fuller, and Roquan Smith, and three first-round picks, where do I sign? That is a deal. You get those players, I'll take Russell Wilson. The Bears need Russell Wilson. There's no other option. Similar to the Cowboys not having any other option behind Dak Prescott, the Bears don't have any other option outside of Russell Wilson. The only difference is Jerry Jones isn't going to fire himself. If they couldn't get a deal done, Dak goes elsewhere, and the Cowboys, let's say, are in quarterback hell for the next five years. Let's just say they can't figure it out, can't draft someone, can't um, sign anyone, trade anyone, and they just can't find for the next five years a quarterback better than Dak. Jerry Jones isn't firing himself. Jerry Jones is in danger of losing the Cowboys. If the Bears can't get Russell Wilson, and they run out next year with Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, whatever quarterback you want to throw out there, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are getting fired at the end of the year. They won't have their jobs because they're lucky to have them right now. And they need an upgrade at quarterback in the worst way, and this is the only option they have left to do so. So if they're forced to go their free agent route because they can't land Russell Wilson, basically, you can already start the clock on their firing after week 17. Well, I guess week 18 if we have a 17-game schedule this year because they are not seeing through that year with more bad quarterback play. So even though they, they weren't really in on, on Dak per se, hey, Dak could reach free agency next year. You can get into a bidding war. Maybe if they can't get to a long-term deal and instead there's some bickering, Dak wants that. He wants to get traded. Maybe you can make a trade for Dak Prescott. But now that he's obviously off the market, there's only one quarterback left for the Bears to have any sort of salvation, any sort of hope of having success and having the two guys in charge keep their jobs. That is Russell Wilson, and I do think it is going to happen. Interesting to see how it plays out. Interesting to see how it goes down. I do think Russell Wilson will be a Chicago Bear week one of 2021. So that will do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickers. We really do appreciate you tuning in, making us a part of your Thursday morning. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully, you know, we got you a little bit closer to the weekend in an uh, entertaining and fun way. We uh, appreciate Clarence Nixon, my, my guy. Catch him on the Worldwide Sports Network for uh, running on Facebook earlier. So be safe. Stay safe. Stay sane. Enjoy the college basketball. Selection Sunday coming up as well. Have a great weekend. Enjoy this great weather out there. 
We'll talk to you Monday, as we always do, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.